All right, everyone, good morning. Um, and it is good to see everybody this morning. Um, uh, we are on, for those who are going to be tuning in later on the podcast, if this gets shared and that sort of thing, uh, this morning is January 23rd and we are on Zoom. We're virtual this morning because we have some people that are sick and uh, we wanted to take precautions for that. So <clears throat> this may sound a little different than normal. And of course, this recording is going to sound a lot different because I have got the COVID plague, if you will. And uh, my voice, I'm sounding a little bit more like James Earl Jones every time I open my mouth. But I'm going to tell you right now, if I could sound like James Earl Jones at all times, I would do that. That guy's got a voice on him. Anyway, um, so it's good to be with you all. I love you all. And I thank you all for uh, uh, navigating this way. Um, we know that this isn't typical church, but uh, we're still uh, we're still able to um, to worship together and study together. And so I'm just thankful for that. I'm thankful for technology and uh, the opportunity to be able to uh, just be together on a, uh, on a Sunday morning, even if it's not together together. And so um, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through all of, uh, well, we're going to walk through as much as we can this morning of Revelation 19. And uh, we're going to be just uh, covering it uh, as we can. Uh, I'm not preaching this morning. This is a Bible study. And so it's a lot different than a typical sermon. And so uh, there's going to be some application, but a lot of it is just going to be explanation. And uh, we are going to have time intermittent for questions and stuff. And so uh, I will pause and let you all ask questions. Just know that those questions will also be on uh, will be on the podcast. So, you know, keep it G rated. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I'm talking to you, Sue Thompson, keep that G rated. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but no, uh, we're, uh, we're going to have a good time this morning. And so I look forward to it. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and pray and open us up uh, with a word. Uh, so if you would uh, join us as uh, join me as I pray, and I'm going to start reading and um, we're going to walk through this text. Lord, we ask you to bless this time that we study. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we open your word to Revelation 19, uh, as we come to the conclusion of this uh, massive uh, work that you inspired John to write. And I pray for um, I pray that you would uh, reveal to us your insights, Lord. Uh, I ask that you would be with me during this time as I try to teach uh, in this way. Uh, Father, even with me being uh, sick, uh, my voice being a little bit <clears throat> ragged right now, Lord, I pray that you would give me strength to, uh, to get through this, and I pray that you would be blessed by it. Father, we love you. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, as we open up uh, Revelation 19, I just want to share just a few things real quick before I share my screen, and I'm going to share the, the scripture over here. Um, what we've what we're basically landing on in Revelation 19, and is uh, we're in the middle of sort of this poem, if you will, or the middle of this kind of situation. We ended last week with Revelation 17 and 18, and we saw the fall of Babylon. Uh, we saw that basically Babylon has fallen. Uh, the prostitute, the beast, um, all of that has fallen. We see that the, the city of man has fallen. That's what the prostitute stood for. She was clothed in, uh, in purple and linens and silks and stuff and bejeweled. And she was very attractive, sort of like Jezebel. 
And uh, we see that many in the city of man pursued her. And the scripture talks about sexual immorality and that we know that sexual immorality was a common sin uh, and still is to this day. Uh, but that sexual immorality really stands for idolatry and that many were idolizing the things of man. And, and that's often what we see with idols is that <clears throat> idolatry really is worship of creation over the creator. Um, and so when we idolize anything over God, that's what we're doing. We're taking something that uh, should be uh, should be used, maybe uh, should be applied, but not to be worshipped. And so we're going to see a little bit of an example of that this morning, uh, where an angel is going to tell John to stop uh, stop his um, uh, stop his worship of him. And so. We're going to walk through that. So the Babylon has fallen, and now you're going to see the repercussions of that or the, the result of that from the saints. Uh, they are very excited. And we're going to talk about whether or not we should be excited about judgment, um, about God's judgment. And uh, spoiler alert, we should. We, we should be excited about God's judgment. And I'll kind of describe why, why that is and why that is a just thing. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen over uh, so that you all can see where we're at. Um, and we will uh, go from there. Um, <clears throat> so we are in uh, Revelation 19 here, and uh, I'm just going to read a passage and start walking us through that until we get to the very end. I mean, we're getting to some exciting stuff here. It says in verse one, after this, now speaking of the fall of Babylon, after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Now, we've talked about this, <clears throat> whether it's appropriate for believers to celebrate the judgment of anybody um, uh, at all. And uh, it, it's, it sounds sort of weird because we know that this judgment isn't that the prostitute or the city of man or unbelievers, if you will, they're not just being, you know, like thrown in a prison cell. I mean, many of these individuals they're, they're being killed. They're, they're dying. Um, and, um, and, and the question is, is this something that believers should celebrate? And here's what I will say. We should always celebrate when God's justice is accomplished. We should always celebrate that because God's justice is always righteousness. It's always righteous. It's always correct. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray that God would have mercy on, on unbelievers and show them grace. But the grace that we ask them him to show is that he would save people. Um, we pray that God would save unbelievers. We still pray for that. We pray that God would save unbelievers and that they would turn from their wicked ways, that they would repent and that they would cling to Christ. But the truth of the matter is, is that not everybody does. Uh, that there are some that will reject, even in the midst of this tribulation, that they will reject Christ. They will reject his salvation. Uh, we will see that there are some that for a time uh, during immense tribulation, that they will, they will appear that they are coming back to the Lord, 
only to find that the idolatry of that wicked prostitute or the great city or the city of man is just too strong, uh, whether it be wealth, power, actual sexual immorality, whatever it might be, is just too strong of a pull and that they will continue to reject Christ. Now, you all have seen this in your own life, likely, uh, in individuals that you have seen uh, come into your life, uh, individuals who have who are, are clearly presented the gospel, and then they, but they reject the gospel. They, they reject the gospel for the sake of the world. And so we pray, we continue to pray for them. But in the end, we want God's justice to be, gun, be done. And we see this even in our own culture, is that when a crime is committed, uh, we want justice to be accomplished. I mean, just the other night, uh, I read an article of how <clears throat> to, um, Two police officers in New York City uh, were gunned down. They were murdered, um, and um, we—they were apparently they were coming to a domestic uh, violence uh, case, and they were ambushed and killed. Uh, from what it sounds like, and and we want justice to occur there. We we want that to occur. We want it to occur in any way, uh, in any fashion, in any type of circumstance. We want justice to be to be done. And we celebrate justice to being done. When, when we find out that justice has been served, we say thank you for that. Um, and so same way here, we are thankful that God is being just and that he is raining down justice on the wicked. And this is not undeserved. It says here, uh, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her blood of his servants. And so um, this, this, per, this prostitute, this great city, the city of man, um, and dwellers on earth, unbelievers, they are not innocent. They are not innocent, and they have, uh, they have committed great sin, and God is now judging them for that. Um, I want to pause just for a second uh, for anybody who may have a question about that or a comment, uh, just briefly. Okay, let's keep on going then. In verse four, it says, <clears throat> and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And so we have a picture of these 24 elders. And we have discussed what these, uh, who these 24 elders represent, whether they represent just the believers uh, from all nations, from all time, or if they represent, for instance, angels. Um, there's some disagreement on that. But either way, what we know is that the host of heaven uh, together are all celebrating what what God has accomplished here. And so God's justice is a moment for celebration. Um, I was watching a moment uh, of a movie uh, last night and <clears throat> the movie was uh, about um, a, a father uh, and a husband who was seeking justice for the brutal murder of his wife and daughter. And um, he felt that justice had not been served, um, that justice had not been served in that case. And because of that, he planned and he waited and he decided to take out justice 
not just on those who had brutally murdered his family, but so, but on the entire legal system, on the entire justice system. Now, here's the deal, is that we know oftentimes that our justice system, in fact, I would even argue that nearly all the time, our justice system never fully uh, gets complete justice for what is for what is accomplished. There's never perfect justice. And the reason is, is because we are not God. And so oftentimes we have problems with that. Oftentimes there are struggles. Either we feel like uh, there has not been enough justice or some individuals believe there has been too much of a, uh, of, a, of, of a penalty on the accused. But here's what we can say is that God's justice is perfect. And so what this great prostitute, what the city of man is going to receive is exactly what, he, what, what she deserves. And so what I would say is that even during the times when we feel like justice hasn't been served, we know that eventually it will be. And so it may not be deserved. It may not be served during our time, not perfectly, but eventually it will. And so we wait for that time. We wait for the time when justice, when God pours out his justice on all the earth. And what my prayer is and our prayer as the church should be is that the blood of Christ would cover as many people as possible. Because the truth is, is that we all deserve, based upon our sin, we all deserve death. The wages of sin are death. Um, but because of Christ, Jesus, we have eternal life. And so we pray that Christ would save everybody uh, that he intends to save. And so um, we make that our prayer this morning. And the 24 elders celebrate God's justice. Now let's move on to a new section here. Uh, this is the marriage supper of the lamb. We've often talked about this. If you're in an evangelical church for longer than a year, oftentimes we're talking about supper. Usually it involves something about a potluck, but you know, we always try to equate that to the marriage supper, if you will. I find it funny how oftentimes we have a potluck and we try to say, this is similar to what it's going to be with the marriage supper of the lamb. So apparently this is going to involve fried, fried chicken at some level, either fried chicken or, uh, or uh, I don't know, country ham or something like that. Maybe, I don't know. So anyway, let's go ahead and read through this. <clears throat> it says, then I heard, so after this celebration, the great multitude from the hosts of heaven, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Okay, so I want to pause real quick, and I want to ask you a question. Real quick. So this is where you can unmute your mics for a moment. This is why I ask you a question. We've already heard that there was a great multitude celebrating God's justice. Here we have another great multitude singing and crying out. And it says it's because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. What, what is happening here? Do you all imagine? What do you all think is happening here? Jesus is the lamb and the church is the bride. Very good. Okay. 
So it says that the marriage of the lamb has come. So the groom, so the lamb is the groom. The lamb is Jesus. He is, he has come or he is about to come here. And the bride has made herself ready. So what is this marriage supper, if you will? What, why, why, what does that mean? They're being, they're becoming ready for this. They're in preparation. Okay. So when we have a marriage supper, okay, that, that is sort of like these, this, um, this, and when I use this phrase, forgive me, uh, because it means multiple things, but it's sort of consummation, if you will, if you will, for the community. All right. This marriage, we've had this marriage and now we're having this massive meal together as sort of consummating this event, okay? Basically, what we're talking about here is the kingdom of God has arrived, okay? The kingdom of God has arrived. And so oftentimes we talk about this idea of the already and not yet. If you're in a, a, a biblical church and you hear about the gospel, you'll hear You'll hear preachers preaching about the already and not yet, and, and you won't find that phrase necessarily in scripture like that, but what it basically means is that the kingdom of God has arrived in the advent of Jesus, but it has not completely come to fruition yet. But with the marriage supper of the Lamb, now that the bride is ready, the groom has arrived, that marriage has occurred. The kingdom is no longer not yet. It is just already. It has happened. It is here. Okay. And so that's what we're seeing here. This is the consummation of history that we're seeing. When it says, and his bride has made herself ready, it basically means Jesus is arriving. There is no more. The harvest is ready. There are no more going to be added to her number at this time. And so it says, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Now, this should be, and it says the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We noticed that in the previous passage that the great prostitute was also clothed in fine jewels and stuff. And it was, uh, there were these colors. It was very colorful. And it really does remind you of Jezebel. Um, and things, but the bride is not dressed in that. The bride is dressed in pure white, um, and it stands for purity, which is, or the righteousness of the saints, if you will. And so it's a contrast between the bride of Christ and the prostitute. And so there's this great contrast here that is taking place. And so the, this great multitude is now not just celebrating the justice or the righteousness in God's justice. They're now celebrating the fact that Christ has come and the bride is making herself ready. So the marriage of the, of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. In verse nine and continuing, it says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage of the supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So the angel said to me, write these, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so these are all, <coughs> excuse me, these are all individuals that have been invited. They are to be blessed. They are to enjoy in this because they are part of the church. And then he says, these are the true words of God. Now, I love this next verse because it says in verse 10, 
Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. Now, I love that. John's response to this is to fall down and to worship. He was so overcome with what he has witnessed, with what he envisioned, that his, his knee-jerk reaction was to worship the individual by which these words had uh, come, come out of. Now, <clears throat> the angel immediately stops him. He says, you must not do this. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold in the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And so I, I love this passage because John is so overwhelmed by this idea that the marriage supper of the Lamb has arrived, that there is going to be victory for, uh, for the bride of Christ because of Jesus, that he just can't help himself. He's just overcome with this emotion, and he just bows down in worship. And the angel says, listen, this is not me. I'm the messenger here. He says, worship God. He said, I too am worshiping God because I hold the testimony of Jesus. Here's something I love, and this is just so, as an aside. It's important for us to realize that it's not just man or believers of the church that hold to the testimony of Christ. It's also the angels in heaven. The angels in heaven hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I, that's just a powerful thing. It is a powerful thing. The gospel is not just for man. The gospel is for all creation. It is a good news, not just for man. It's a good news for everyone and everything that has ever been created for all the hosts of heaven. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is what is to come, all right? This is what is to come. So uh, let me just pause there for a moment uh, just to let you, allow you all to have some reflection or anything like that. I'm gonna stop sharing my screen for a moment. Uh, do you all have any reflections or response to that at all? Um, we're gonna be moving on into the last section of Romans or of Revelation 19 here, and I just wanna allow you some time just to, to respond to that. <clears throat> at all. When we talk about the idea of, um, of this idea of the bride has made herself ready, um, and it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, um, does this imply that the bride is the one doing the deeds to accomplish her righteousness? What do you think about that? How should we read that? It's, it's the Holy Spirit who is, we've been sealed with, who has brought us to this point in the first place. So we, but when it says we've been granted, that's the way I take that. He's given us that to be able to do that through his power in the first place. So that's right. That's right. That's very good, Paul. That's, that's right. And so when it says the bride has made herself ready, the only way she can make herself ready is when she's been given the opportunity or been equipped with the ability to make herself ready. And so, and that's, you're exactly right. It was granted to her to clothe herself. And so, and that's why we say anything that is righteous in us is not our own righteousness. It is purely of Christ. It's purely of Christ. And so we should be the most humble of, of all individuals. And we should just praise the Lord for that. And so, um, and, uh, and 
I'm just, uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I know my heart. Um, I know my heart. And I know that there are times when I am just absolutely, um, th- that I feel like I'm just absolutely useless for the Lord uh, because of either what I'm, what I'm feeling or what I, or even sin in my life, whatever it might be, that I just feel like I'm just absolutely useless for the Lord. And then I remember that it's, it, that I can't, you know, I can wrestle all I want and the Lord does want us to, uh, to, to serve him and to make good faith efforts and to, and all those things. But in the end, um, anything good that I ever accomplish, anything good that any believer ever accomplishes is of Christ. Um, because everything is a filthy rag compared to, um, uh, that we can do compared to what the Christ would have done through us. So, um, so very good. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen again, and we're going to get into this rider on the white horse, um, which, uh, is sort of this, uh, very exciting, uh, uh, lead into basically, I mean, this is kind of the, 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 uh, um, oh, I don't know the, um, it's, it's the big thing. It's the celebration that we see in Revelation. It's what everybody has been waiting on here. It's the climax of the, of the book here. And so starting in verse 11, it says, then I saw heaven open. Now, I, I want you to do something for me real quick. I want you to picture yourself being John at this moment, okay? Now, John is already overwhelmed uh, by what he has seen, okay? He's overwhelmed. But now I want you to witness this, okay? Just imagine you're John here. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I love that passage. I love that passage. I want you to just imagine that. Of course, the individual riding this white horse is Christ. Now, you remember that when Jesus came into the kingdom, uh, or into Jerusalem. We just read this in Matthew, in the triumphal entry, uh, to be crucified. He's, he's riding, on a, riding on a donkey. But now he's riding in on a white horse. Everybody thought that Christ was coming to rule and to reign, and he was, just not at that moment. He was coming to defeat sin in a, in, a, in a different way the first time. Well, now he's coming, and, and this is it. And now he is riding that white horse. And he is called Faithful and True. And, um, and I love that. 
I love that we can call our Savior faithful and true, especially when there are so many things in this world that are flawed and sinful and deceptive, manipulative and evil. We can depend on Christ because he's faithful and he's true. His flames are like fire. He can see all things. You can't hide anything from him. He's crowned with diadems, and he's still full of mystery. It says he has a name written that no one knows but himself. His robe is dipped in blood. It's dipped in blood. His victory was one victory made from death, his own. And his name, and the name by which he is called, is the word of God, reaching all the way back to John chapter one. And in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it says all these armies were made with, were dressed in fine linen, white and pure. This is the righteousness of God following him, the righteousness of Christ. And they were following him on white horses as well. And he has come and he's come to strike down the nations. And he is striking down the nations. He's striking down kings who think that they can defeat him, who think that they have the upper hand. But in fact, they are no king because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And I love that. And it's written on his thigh, which has great prominence in the historical uh, perspective. And so he is, and, I, and it says here that he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. It's not as if that these nations are even going to be able to put up a fight. We're going to see here that they're going to try to make war on the Lamb of God. And folks, I'm going to tell you, this is not even going to, this isn't even going to be a skirmish. Christ is laying the law down. <clears throat> I watched a movie. Uh, I'm sorry. When I'm sick, I watch a lot of movies, folks. And I, I laid on the couch and I watched a movie called The Highway, man. It's with Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. And it's basically the true story of these two guys, these two uh, Texas Rangers who chased after Bonnie and Clyde. Now, I didn't know this, but Bonnie and Clyde were ruthless. I did not know that. I thought they just committed a few crimes and stuff like that and, you know, killed a couple people. But, I mean, they were ruthless uh, in what they did. They killed so many individuals, killed lots of law enforcement and everything. And, and I'll be honest with you. I was waiting. I knew that these guys were going to basically win. I mean, it was kind of spoiled at the beginning. I knew that these Rangers were going to come and basically eliminate Bonnie and Clyde. But I was expecting this big, massive, you know, kind of like Western gun battle, you know, like OK Corral type thing. Folks, I don't mean to spoil it for you, but it wasn't a battle. These Rangers came in and annihilated them. It was brutal what they did. There was Bonnie and Clyde did not have a chance in the end. And I was like, at first, I was like, yeah, they got them because you were really mad at Bonnie and Clyde for a minute. And by the way, what's interesting here, just as a segue, Bonnie and Clyde were celebrated. They were celebrated by the masses. They were cheered on by all these people, even though people knew that they had killed and murdered people, not just law enforcement, but just innocent bystanders, just murdered them. People were celebrating them. They were famed throughout the land. <clears throat> and here they come, and these Texas Rangers just absolutely lay waste. Folks, the city of man, this great prostitute, is celebrated by earth dwellers. 
And here comes this rider on the white horse. And folks, it's not even going to be a contest. He is going to absolutely lay waste. Sort of like Bonnie and Clyde. And then we get into verse 17. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God. So, there are, so the supper of God is commencing. And this supper, see, again, we think of it as a potluck, right? We think that there's going to be like this meal, you know, happening, right? But remember, all of this is symbolic. And so this angel now is calling for all the birds to come, all right? Well, that's, you know, that's kind of nice. We release doves at weddings, right? It's real romantic and everything. We release doves at weddings. And so the angel is calling for all the birds. Maybe they're coming to celebrate this marriage, right? Well, they kind of are, but in a little bit of a different way. Because then it says, come gather for the great supper of the lamb to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. That would make for a little bit of a different picture in our weddings, right? If when we release the doves, the doves went and kind of started eating people during the at the wedding party, okay? So it'd be kind of weird, all right? I, kind of an Alfred Hitchcock type thing, right? But what this is, this is a picture of the Old Testament and of Ezekiel when uh, when when uh, when God called these birds to eat the enemies of God, and it was a great depravity and a great uh, disgrace to leave dead bodies just out. Those dead bodies needed to be buried. That was the way you handled them with dignity. Well, these people are just going to be laid to waste. They're not even going to be buried. They are a disgrace. Um, and so this is how they are going to be judged here. And it says, and it does. By the way, it doesn't matter who it is. They're all going to be judged, small and great, slave and free. It doesn't matter. There is no hierarchy. It doesn't mean just because you could be the wealthiest man, woman on the planet. And if you are not part of the bride of Christ, your flesh is going to be eaten. Now, is this literal or is this symbolic? It's hard to say. It is hard to say. What we will say is this, is that the kingdom of God or nothing can stand against the kingdom of God. The city of man will be destroyed and there will be nothing left. And it says, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who is sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Folks, this isn't, this isn't even going to be fair for the armies of earth. I mean, Christ is going to have his way. Now, this is something we should celebrate, but it's also a warning. It's also a warning that if you think that you can stand against God, you cannot. You cannot. You cannot stand against God. All these kings, all of their great, I mean, we've all seen the movies like Braveheart and The Patriot 
we've seen all these movies where good and bad stand across from one another on these hills and in battle, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, at some point there's going to be this massive battle and just this uh, kind of ubiquitous destruction on both sides. That's not what this is. Folks, the armies of God are not going to lose one person. But the city of man is going to be utterly destroyed. And birds are going to eat on the flesh of those who are left out. What does this mean? The city of man is just going to be destroyed. When the kingdom of God arrives, there is not going to be room for the city of man. There's no room for it. It's going to be gone. It's sort of like what we say when, we, when someone asks, can a believer be filled with a demon, be possessed by a demon? And I've argued multiple times that a true believer cannot be demon-possessed because somebody filled with the Holy Spirit a demon cannot reside there. What's the same here? When the kingdom of God has arrived to take full reign, to com complete reign, there is not going to be any room for the city of man anymore. And we should celebrate that. We should celebrate that. We should rejoice over that. By the way, this is the second coming. This is the second coming right here. So many in, in the church believe that there's going to be the second coming arrives with the um, with the rapture, and we've talked about the fact that the rapture really is not biblical, all right? There's a lot of people that believe that it is, but it's really not. We've not really found a place in here uh, where there's a, a, a rapture of the church, um, but that the truth is, is that, and, and that would be weird anyway, because if there was a rapture, that means that Christ came during the rapture, and now here's another opportunity where Christ is coming again. So this would be like the the third coming of Jesus. Well, this is the second coming. This is the blessed hope that we talk about in the New Testament, that Christ is coming. And along with the blessed hope, we have Jesus reigning and ruling forever and ever. And um, my prayer is that we will be found on the right side of that rider in white. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to stop my share, and I'm going to open it up for questions or comments uh, here. Um, <clears throat> and uh, give us an opportunity just to discuss this. We're not going to break into chapter 20. Uh, chapter 20 is a highly divisive um, chapter uh, talking about the millennial millennium. And we're going to be discussing that uh, next week as we uh, convene together again. But uh, let's, let's just talk for a few moments. Uh, we've got a moment here. Do we have anything that we want to share or any, any comments or anything like that? Any questions or anything? So is the, uh, you know, we talk about him coming in on a white horse. Is that something that's symbolic or is he supposed to come in on a white horse? Like, do we know, like, or what are your thoughts? <clears throat> Here's what I envision. I envision that, um, w w to be honest with you, we don't know. I, I, my, my answer is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, here's what I will say that we will know. The coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ will not be hidden. The second coming of Christ will be very apparent. Um, the second coming of Christ, there, there will be no question to what it is. And the church, the bride of Christ will celebrate and the wicked will mourn 
they will be grieved by this. So if he comes in on a white horse, I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm all for it. Um, I happen to believe that it's symbolic. And the reason why I say that is because of this sword coming out of the mouth and the flames coming out of the eyes. I mean, it could be real. I mean, I mean that, that could be literal. But I think it's probably symbolic. It's likely going to be much bigger than that. Right. I envision it being much bigger than that. Um, and But what we will say is, make no mistake, we will know exactly what it is. Okay. Any other questions or comments? You know, this is something that we celebrate. It's something that we wait for. Um, but while we wait um, for the coming of Christ, um, we it, it's a it's we we wait. But while we're waiting, we also need to be somewhat active. And this is why we this is why we share the gospel. This is why we proclaim Christ. And this is also why we are concerned with our own discipleship. We want to be part of the bride of Christ who is ready, um, that we're ready uh, when, when he comes. Uh, we, you know, I know that I am saved. I know that I'm saved. I have the assurance of salvation from God's word and from the Holy Spirit. But I also know that I fail often and that I grieve Christ and I grieve the Holy Spirit. And just like a child wants to make their father, make their mother happy, please them. I want to please the Lord. I want to please the Lord with my actions. I want to please the Lord with, with what I do. I want to honor him in everything. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to love, love me any more than he does. I'm going to love my kids um, the same, no matter what they do. I would give my life for my children as much as they aggravate me. Sometimes I'm going to give my life for my kids. I'd lay it down for them in a heartbeat. Um, but I, I do love it when they try to please me. I do. It's one way that they honor me. And um, we should honor the Lord in everything that we do. Uh, not trying to earn anything. I also know that too. I know what I mean, manipulated by my kids. I know when they're trying to please me just so they can get something, right? You know exactly what I mean by that, right? They all of a sudden, you know, clean something up real nice, or they come talking to you with real sweet words, words that only come out of their mouth when they have dollar signs in the back of their minds. And so it's something we, we're not, we don't want to, there is no manipulating God, um, we give to the Lord out of an abundance of what he has given to us. We will never, we'll never be able to repay it, but that doesn't mean that we don't attempt it, at the very least to honor him with our lives. And, and that's what we do during this time. And one of the ways that we honor, our, honor him with our lives is that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, to try to prevent as many individuals as possible to be a, a, a useful tool for the Lord uh, so that they, other people will know Jesus and know, uh, know him so that they can avoid this kind of judgment in the future. Any other questions or comments?
Okay. I'm going to pray real quick and then I'm going to stop recording. Um, and then uh, we can chat or do whatever we like for a few minutes, fellowship for a few minutes digitally, if you like. So join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the time that we've had to gather together, Lord, just to celebrate and to worship and to, uh, to study, Lord, your word. I, this has been a different day altogether. And I pray that those who are sick get healed, Lord, uh, quickly. And I pray that those who are struggling right now in different conditions would be treated well and that you would heal them as well. Father, I pray that as the bride of Christ, we would be ready. I pray that you would um, lead us in greater faithfulness and greater righteousness, Lord, and that we would be, uh, be part of that army clothed in white linen, Lord. Father, we thank you and we love you. And we ask that you would be with us. And until we meet again next week, uh, that you would keep us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.